listening to Pastor Jesse Miller of City Lights Church. Changes are something that's always interesting to me. I've always been the kind of guy who likes before and after pictures. Like they just, like my wife will be watching, you know, the home home makeover. What's the show? HGTV. You guys know this stuff. And I will have no investment whatsoever in some guy's house in California because it's huge and it doesn't affect my life at all. But if it's a before and after episode, I'm sticking around to the last second to see what it looks like now. And um, we were watching a show yesterday. It was just awful. It was just a really bad, bad one. It was not even, it was not even a good like filmed show. It was about two people who bought this house and they needed to fix it up, but they didn't hire any professional contractors. So it was just like, be like me and Ash just like reading through a book, trying to figure out how to change our fireplace out. And then at the end of the, this is how the episode ended. It was them saying, "We just can't do this." Um, I, I've been up too late. And then it was like a couple words on the screen and then like a quick picture of how they fixed the fireplace like a long time later. I'm like, wow, that was really uneventful. It was pretty boring. But I, lo- I love seeing transformation take place. I just love it. Um, so videos like that, just seeing a change in, in the instant. Like time-lapse photography is amazing. Like I don't have the kind of patience or foresight to do something like that. I'd love to say that was one of my daughters. Like I'm just like every day of their life I'm taking a picture. I don't think about that kind of stuff. I'm just like, Haley, it's morning. We got to take a picture this morning. I just don't do that. But I love seeing things where transformation happens. And sometimes transformation is a very long process, and you might not notice the, the subtle changes. Sometimes it could be like a day where something changes. Like this morning, we were actually just joking about it. The beginning of worship, there was a ladybug over here. It's currently somewhere around here. Oh, it's right there. Oh, so it didn't move that far, but by the time I'm done, it's going to be in the office. So... But tra- sometimes transformation is a slow process. Sometimes it's a couple hours or whatever. Um, some of you know that this last week was my oldest daughter, Haley's fifth birthday. And um, the other night, I went to tuck her in and say our prayers together. And uh, she, she looks at me, she goes, Dad, I'm five now. I'm like, yeah, I know. She's like, I don't feel like I'm five. I, I still feel four. I'm like... <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I'm like, I, I don't know what to tell you. I'm like, change, I say growth is real small. She's like, but I'm getting bigger. I'm supposed to be bigger at five. Like, I think she just thought four, she'd be here. Five, she'd be like here, like a sudden growth. And she's like, I just don't feel it. And I was with my fingers. I'm like, yeah, sometimes when we get bigger, it's real small. And I was just doing it. It took like a minute and a half for me to do this. And she's like, wow. Like, so I was trying to, trying to explain to her what change looks like. I was having a conversation with somebody else um, a few months back. And um, we were talking about uh, being a parent. This guy was a new, a new parent. And he's like, when do you feel like a father? And I'm like, I don't know. I have, it's not like there was a day where all of a sudden, I'm daddy. Like, I'm a dad now. <laughs> like, like, mentally, you're like, hey, I'm a dad now. But, like, you don't feel like a dad. You, you, does that make sense? Dad, any dads know what I'm talking about? It's not like there's a switch in you. I remember going to Bible college thinking, okay, I'm a freshman in Bible college. When I leave, I will be a pastor, and I will know everything. I remember waiting for that, like, moment where, like, all of a sudden I'm enlightened. It, I didn't feel that moment. It just didn't happen. And I think sometimes change is a very slow process where you might not recognize the change, but it happens. Does that make sense? We're all, we're all tracking here. You might not recognize the change. I think, so I think videos like that are really intriguing to me uh, to see. Let's pray, and then we're going to get into the scripture this morning. Father, I just ask that your, your presence would be here that your spirit would teach us and your word would teach us, God, um, what it is to live for you and in you, God. 
that our focus would be on you, Christ God. Be glorified in this morning, in this message this morning. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, we've been walking through the book of Mark, but we're actually going to take a little bit of a break from Mark, but yet we're still going to be in Mark. So, okay, let me explain. We've been walking through, now I'm kind of jumping ahead a little bit, because this morning is Palm Sunday, if you didn't know. And I want to take a little bit of a break from walking strategically through each chapter and uh, talk about what's on my heart this morning uh, as we head into this Easter season. Transition, like I said, is something that's always intrigued me, and sometimes changes are subtle, sometimes they're very noticeable. And I want to look this morning, if we could, at Mark chapter 11, verse 1 through 10. Um, And here it is. Let me set the stage for you. Jesus is um, getting ready to come into Jerusalem. It's called the triumphal entry. Palm Sunday. This is where we get it all from. And uh, I want to read this with you. And this is Sunday morning. Okay, I want, to see, I want you to see what happens on a Sunday morning here. Mark chapter 11, verses 1 says this. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethphage, and to Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent his two disciples and said to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, Why are you doing this? Say, The Lord has need of it, and will send it back immediately. And they went away, and they found a colt tied to a door outside the street. They untied it, and some of those standing there said to them, What are you doing, untying a colt? And they told them what Jesus had said, and they let them go. And they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and and he sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut off from the fields. And those who went before and those who were following were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David, Hosanna in the highest. So let me, let me explain that picture for you a little bit. Jesus says, I need my disciples. I want you to go out and find a colt, uh, donkey that's never been rode on before. Take it. And if anybody asks you why you're taking the donkey from some random dude in the city, say, the Lord needs it. And so they do this. And this is exactly what happens. And they bring this donkey that's never been ridden before. Jesus gets one and he rides into the city. This is a very busy city at this time. Um, scholars have estimated there's about 2 million people because the Passover season's coming up on them. And so all these people were in the city, and Jesus gets on the donkey, rides into the city, and people see him and recognize this is the prophecy that we've been waiting for. This is something important. And all of a sudden, they start cutting down leaves and laying them on the ground as he rides through and laying their coats down. And they, sing, they say, Hosanna, blessed is he. He's, he's the prophecy we've all been waiting for. This is a pretty awesome moment, right? You guys track with me here for a second. This is, this is a pretty proud moment. If you're one of the disciples, you're like hanging in the back like, yeah, I'm with him. Like, this is, this is the cool guy. This is, this is what you've all been waiting for. We've been with him all along. We get to be part of his entourage. It's an awesome moment. I just, I just like to think of like a disciple sometimes. Like, this is a good, happy moment. They're celebrating. There's a massive crowd here that's saying Hosanna. And I think it's funny. Hosanna actually means save now. Hosanna. They're declaring that he's the one that's rescuing us. He's the one that we've been waiting for to get us out of this imprisonment, this captivity that we've been in. Generation after generation, prophecy after prophecy has all been speaking of this moment. He's the line of David, the king that's coming. He's going to save us now. There's excitement in the air. This is Sunday morning. Let's look forward here, um, if we could. Let me, before we look forward here, Zechariah 9.9, let me explain a little bit more why they're seeing this as the, the Messiah, the promised one. The prophet Zechariah says this in 9.9. 9, 
about the coming king of Zion. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So Jesus coming into the city is an act that fulfills a prophecy that they knew. They saw him, they recognized, here he is. The moment we've been waiting for, Sunday morning, they recognize, they shout out as a crowd, they cut down leaves, and they're proclaiming, here he is. Let's lift him up. Let's lay ourselves down in front of him. Does that make sense? This is an act of worship and a declaration of faith on Sunday morning. I think we do that a lot in churches on Sunday morning. We declare our faith. We declare our worship and our affection and our love toward him in our songs, in our prayer time. We declare our focus and our attention on him. See, in the grand scheme of things, these guys recognize that their life, their job, their career, their, their family, everything was small little blips on the radar. They recognize in this moment but that as a generation, as a people, there's one thing that they've been waiting for. I don't think America tends to think this way. We, think, we tend to think in like, this is what's important to me. Like, I'm going to get my nice house. I'm going to get my good career. This is the thing that I'm waiting for. As a Jew, you're waiting for the promised Messiah to come and deliver you. Everything else was really minute. Like, it might have been exciting, but there was one thing that the prophets were declaring. There was one thing that they were waiting for. This is a, an exciting moment for them. I need you to get this picture with me this morning. This is a huge day. They're saying everything, everything that life's about is right now. He's coming. He's going to save us now. Hosanna. Here comes the king. He's saving us now. It's all about this. Nothing else really matters. That's Sunday morning. Let's look at Friday morning. Turn, if you would, to Mark chapter 15. Jesus here is uh, in front of Pilate, and he's taken to court here. And I want, you, I want to read this, these verses with you. 15, verse 6. Now at the feast, he used to release for, for them one prisoner for whom they had asked. And among the rebels in prison, he had committed murder in, in the insurrection. There was a man called Barabbas. And the crowd came up and began to ask Pilate to do them what he usually did for them. And he answered them saying, do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? And he perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priest had delivered him up. But the chief priest stirred up the crowd to have him release for, for them Barabbas instead. And Pilate again said to them, then what shall I do with the man that you call the king of the Jews? And they cried out, crucify him. And Pilate said to them, why, what evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, crucify him. So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas. Having scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. So Sunday morning, we have a crowd, we have a city seeing Jesus, and they're saying, this is it. He is the man that we have been waiting for. You go a few days later. It's Friday, and there's a crowd. I'm not saying it's the same exact people in the crowd, but I'm saying the voice of the crowd now says, we'd rather have Barabbas, the murderer, than Jesus. There's, and says the scribes stirred up, stirred up in the crowd a call to say crucify. To me, I know a lot of people get really excited about Palm Sunday. It's just like this awesome moment. And it is because we see what it leads into. And we know, we, we see the full story now. We see that Christ is resurrected he's paid the penalty of sin he's gone through the suffering for us and it's exciting but to me i've always looked at this story and i thought how can a crowd on sunday 
worship him and declare him as king and on Friday declare crucify him. I'm not saying it's the same people, but I'm saying it is a voice of a city. Where are the people who are on Sunday saying, Hosanna? Where are those people in this moment? Where are the ones saying, hey, he is it. He's the one we've been waiting for. He's our only hope. Save us now. And instead they say, we'd rather have the murderer than him. I've always looked at this and I thought, how can this transition happen? How can a crowd and a city on Sunday be at one place and on Friday another? Does that, I mean, does that make does this ringing true? I'm hoping to not come across aggressive this morning, but it's always shocked me. And I've, I remember being in Sunday school class, you're making your palm branches, and everybody's like, Hosanna, Hosanna. You know, you're just doing our little thing in classes. And I've, I've always remember thinking, this is cool, but I remember what they do later. Like, they don't do this. They go, crucify, crucify. There's a big difference. So I could never really get fully excited with the palm branches because I just felt like it was fake. Like, I felt like there was not really depth there. Because if there was depth there, where were those people on Friday morning? Where was that voice on Friday morning? If there was true authenticity in their worship, where, where was that on Friday morning when everybody else was yelling, crucify him? See, there's a trouble in a crowd. Crowds are very, um, I guess fickle would be a, a good word for it. Crowds, if you're part of a crowd, you can just cheer for anything, really. I mean... This might offend some people here. Let me just say this. I despise the New York Yankees. I'm sorry. There we go. Get it out. Get it out of your system. I cannot stand the Yankees. But being a local Scranton guy, I can go down to a Rail Riders game and be like, yeah, go Rail Riders. Like, I love the Rail Riders. They are young Yankees. Like, they're going to turn into a Yankee one day. Like, that's the hope anyway. Like, they are owned by the Yankees. I can't stand, my, my daughters, Ben knows, if you get around my daughters, they know when you hear, they hear the word Yankee, they say dirty Yankees. We do not like the Yankees. It's true. There's an old video of Haley who's like eating, I don't know what we were doing letting her eat a fun dip at like two years old. She's like eating fun dips and Ben's trying to get her to say Yankees. She's like, dirty Yankees. Like just amped up on sugar. Just, dirty Yankees. But, like, I go down to the crowd here at the Rail Riders, and I am their biggest fan all of a sudden. I want them to win that game. The moment they get advanced, I want them to lose horribly. I am I'm pretty much what I'm saying is I want you to do well now, but not later. I want you to be good for a minute, but not later. Because the crowd's here. This is Scranton. Rail Riders. Yeah. <laughs> Yankees, no. Like, that's, that's, do you see what I'm saying? Like, a crowd can get you to root for almost anything. The crowd can get you to use your voice for what the crowd wants. See, the problem with a crowd, though, is you care about what the crowd cares about when you're in the crowd. The rest of the week, you have no, you don't care. It's just, I, want, I, I don't know anything about hockey. I went to one of the, uh, the, was it the Penguins games down here in Wilkes-Barre. I loved it. I was like their biggest fan that day. I, I don't know what they've done since. I have no clue. But when you're in that crowd, all of a sudden, your whole ambition is focused on that one thing, that one drive, and your voice becomes pretty much meaningless. You're all their biggest fan while you're together. The moment you separate, nobody even checks the scores online, like, or at least I didn't. Do you see what I'm saying? There's a problem with the crowd because you're able to use your voice together for a purpose, and then the rest of the week, you don't care. I wonder, where were the guys laying their branches down on, on Sunday morning 
did the rest of the week, did they even think about it? Or when the crowd starts to yell crucify, why wasn't there one guy in there saying, Hosanna, Hosanna? Why wasn't there a voice still saying Hosanna? Because he's part of a crowd now. The crowd's saying something different, so I say something different. I feel like this very same thing here we see Jesus talk about as he quotes the prophet Isaiah, and I've said this verse before because I feel like it's, it's a verse that really impacts my heart on a daily thing, a daily basis. I want, I want to, I'm constantly checking myself with this verse. It says this, Jesus says, as he quotes Isaiah, Matthew 15, 8 through 9, he says, This people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching the doctrines of men. Jesus says these people are honoring me with their mouth, but they have no stake in the game. Their hearts really aren't invested in me. And I wonder on, on Sunday morning if that's what the crowd was. They recognized something here, and there was a moment of joint celebration, but their hearts weren't invested into it. I, I just wonder, I wonder why were they not there on Friday? Why were they not there on Friday? I, I feel like we can do this a lot in church, and I'm, I'm just being honest. This morning we sang songs that says, Christ is enough for me. And we said, you are my joy, my one true joy. And we declare, the, in essence, the very mission statement of our church, that people would find Christ as their ultimate joy, that he is the only thing that satisfies. And we declare this with our lips, and then on Monday morning or Friday night, we're finding all these other little idols in our lives that give us joy and satisfaction and, and our attention is on this and not on Christ. See, there, there needs to be, we have to have a firm anchor in something or we'll quickly find ourselves changing. We'll quickly find ourselves in a different place. If we're not completely anchored in our focus and our drive and our love for Christ, we're going to find ourselves quickly swaying somewhere else. We, we, we make idols in our hearts. It's what we do. Um, I, I, my wife and I have been married almost seven years now. And, um, and it's funny because, like, I, 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 can, I, I told you I like time lapse. I like to see before and after shots. And um, I think it's funny because I've changed a lot. She's changed a lot. Um, my views on things have changed a lot. Her views on things have changed a lot. She'll joke with me. She's like, before we were married, I used to wear pink and sparkly clothes and have a lot of style. And now you make me wear brown. I'm like, when have I ever made you wear brown? Like, I don't make you wear brown. But, like, our styles change. Like, who we were seven years ago, I'm a different person. Um, I like to play this game sometimes with my wife. And I'll do ridiculous things. Like, I'll, I'll pull my shorts up real high. And I'll be like... Would you have married me if I looked like this? And, and then I'll, or I'll, I'll talk in a really weird voice. Like, I just like the, I don't know why I do this. I'll say a really weird voice, and I'll be like, would you have married me if I talked like this? And she'll be like, I probably just wouldn't have dated you. So I don't know. That's not really a fair question. So, but like, we change. People change. And, I, and, I, and I'm like, oh, you would have married me if I walked like this? What if this happens to me? What if I go bald, which is currently in the process right now? <laughs> Will you still love me? Like, these kind of questions. And the truth is, though, like, unless my love and my vows are grounded not in what she does for me or her appearance or the things that change in her mind and the way she, if my affection is grounded in I am committed to just her, no matter what changes, unless I'm there, quickly we find ourselves with other affections. Quickly, it's, well, she's not the person I married. Yep, that's true. 
I'm not the person she married. If you're married, you're probably not the person your spouse married. People change. We, we think differently. We, we, we grow. Sometimes better, sometimes worse. It happens. You know, I, I'm saying this because I feel like I'm getting out of the, the spiritual dynamic with focusing on Christ. Let's talk about relationships for just a second here. So many times do we see separation for irreconcilable differences or they're not the person that I married anymore. They're not that same person. Ash and I have differences. We have differences of opinions a lot. And we never really reconcile those opinions. Like, oh, I submit over to your authority. That doesn't always happen. There are some things we just deal with. Like, my view on things, the way, the way I don't remember chore lists very well, but I can name every B-list actor in all of Hollywood, sometimes frustrates her. She can tell me our next three weeks how it's planned out for myself, the kids, and all of our friends, what they're doing. But yet she doesn't remember some of our dates that we've been on in the past. Like, do you see, these are differences, the way we work. But I am, my, affe- my affection is on her, whether she revolves around my differences or not. Whether she satisfies every desire that I have. Whether she fulfills everything that I need. My affection is on her, whether or not she answers my every call. Does that make sense? We're just different people. Yeah, that's true. We are different people. We're different people now than we were six years, seven years ago. But my affection has to be grounded in her. I was talking the other day with somebody about how affairs and marital infidelity doesn't happen with somebody having a great morning, a marriage, and everything's perfect, waking up the next day and be like, I think I'm going to have an affair today. I'm going to ruin my marriage. It doesn't work that way. What happens is you begin to make a list of differences, of of offenses, of, of disappointments, and you don't fix those things, and then you realize, hey, this person could probably, I could date her if I was single. Oh, she's hanging around a lot. Next thing you know, hey, my wife won't care if I go on a date with her or whatever. She just doesn't have to know about it. Affairs don't happen just pure bliss affair. There's a process here, a subtle change, if you will, to where one minute your satisfaction is in your wife or your husband, the next minute you're finding it somewhere else. There's a process here that if we're not grounded, if we're not rooted in my affections only belong here and they will always belong here no matter what she does to make me happy, no matter who she becomes, I'm always focusing my affection on her. We're going to find ourselves somewhere else that we never wanted to be in the first place. I'm sure the crowd didn't go up, wake up that morning and be like, hey, let's crucify our Savior. Let's, let's just do this. They didn't wake up with that motive that morning. Well, the Pharisees did. The scribes did. He was a threat. But the crowd, that wasn't their first thing. Like, hey, let's, let's pick the notorious killer over Jesus, the guy who heals people everywhere he goes. Yeah, let's take the guy who kills people. Let's do that one. That wasn't like a morning decision. But there was this swaying, there was a subtle change, the ladybug moving across the stage. There's this process that happens when our shouts of praise become shouts of crucifixion and death. See, our hearts need to be anchored in him. We, can, we can't just love him on Sunday mornings when it's real easy. I mean... To be honest, Sunday morning, we're here together and we're all in this because there's a crowd of us and it's, it's biblical and it's right for us to be together and to celebrate together, to grab strength from each other. 
But tomorrow morning when I wake up and I am very angry at the guy down the street who constantly parks in front of my house, in front of my driveway, and throws his trash on my trash pile. And I want to go and yell at him unspeakable things. I have to determine my focus, my joy, my satisfaction, my mission in life is to share the goodness of Christ, to share the gospel of Christ, not my thoughts on how he should pay for his own garbage. It's just true. He should, but anyway. It's funny, when Ash and I first moved in this grand, uh, we got this house. We live on Mulberry Street, and um, our houses are kind of like almost on the corner, so there's people, there's houses behind our house. And uh, when we first moved in, there was uh, our, our back neighbors really did believe with 100% certainty that they would be the next Jay-Z rap group. Like, and they didn't mind practicing outside at 1 a.m. a lot. Um, our realtor didn't tell us about that either. That was not one of the, uh, hey, come check out the house at 1 o'clock and find out what your neighbors are really like. It wasn't like that. So when I have an infant trying to sleep and all I hear is loud, loud bass pumping through my walls and um, the repetitive, it wasn't like they just played like a CD, you know, with new songs every couple every seconds. They stuck on the same track for hours at a time, getting it down. They were going to perfect it at 3 a.m. But I remember one night that my wife had made cupcakes and we had, she made a bunch because that's my wife. She makes a lot of pastries. And uh, they're outside just wrapping it out, just doing it. And my wife opens the back porch, and she comes out, and she's carrying this, but it's, like, dark, so you couldn't really see. And um, they're like, oh, oh, we're sorry. We're so sorry. And she's like, no, I'm just giving you cupcakes. <laughs> From that moment on, we had their respect. Like, they, they're like, we're, they're the cool neighbors. They gave us cupcakes when we were wrapping. Like, it was awesome. <laughs> Like, I would have rather her have gone out personally with a cell phone and say, hey, I'm calling the cops. But she didn't. Do you see what I'm saying? There's this, there's this thing inside of me on Monday morning that doesn't want to proclaim that everything is about him, that he is the one, and I say, Hosanna, save now. You're the one that my whole life is built on. You're the coming king to make everything new. You're the only thing that matters. The only gospel that my lips need to proclaim is you. I don't want to do that when I'm driving to work or when things at home aren't going well or family members are driving me nuts, not my house because we have great. My wife's great. Just My wife's great. Let me just say that again. Um, but when things are crazy, when jo- my job is awful, when I go into work and my coworkers are blasting Christianity, can I still proclaim Hosanna? He's the coming king when everyone around me is saying, crucify him, crucify him. That's my question this morning. Do my lips still on Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday up until Friday still say, Hosanna, here he comes? The son of David, here he comes. This is all that matters. This is the only thing that my joy, my affection, my, my rescue is in. Is it on him? See, it's funny because we can get also really encouraging news out of the scripture. We look at the disciples and the disciples were a crazy bunch. They just, they just, man, talk about the definition of fickle. They were all over the place all the time. Jesus is in the garden and He's arrested. Where are the disciples? Where? They scatter. They just run. They just run. We know Peter denies them three times. They're all over the place. They're not there saying Hosanna. They're gone. 
They're just hiding. So we see disciples scatter in one moment, but then we see Jesus return, resurrected, reveal himself to them, show them who he really is and what his kingdom really is all about. And we see them go to Pentecost, and we see the Spirit come on them, and we see all the disciples die a martyr's death, be persecuted for the sake of Christ. There's a transformation that has them denying him to the transformation that has them saying, I will be crucified for him. I will speak because he's, I'm grounded in him. I'm rooted in him. I hope that makes sense this morning. One other example that I want to look at, Paul. Paul blows my mind. Paul is like the coolest story probably in, in, the, in the New Testament. He, here you have a guy who persecutes Christians endlessly. He's holding the coats for those who, at the first martyr for Stephen, saying, yeah, go ahead, throw your stones. I'll hold your coat. I don't want your coats to get dirty as you throw stones at him. This is Paul. And then he's knocked off his horse, blinded by Christ. God speaks to him. He has this moment where his, the scales come off his eyes, spiritually and physically. Look at 2 Corinthians, if we could, verses uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Starting about halfway through uh, chapter 11, verse 23. It says this, I'm talking like a madman with far greater labor, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews, 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Night and day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. Paul is a man who went through a lot. Whipped 39 times, three times. That's, that's a pretty big deal. Not, uh, I, don't, I don't know if anybody else in here has been whipped for the gospel anytime soon or recently. Um, probably not, I'd venture to say. Um, have you been shipwrecked or stoned? I love the story where Paul's stoned. They literally stone him thinking he's dead. They drag him out of the city because they don't want him to stink up the city. And he, God revives him and he goes back to preaching. He's like, I just had rocks thrown at my head till they thought I was dead. Let's preach some more. Let's just do it again. Shipwrecked. Stoned. Whipped. All of his friends, no longer his friends, completely abandoned. This, is, this is sound, doesn't sound like the guy who changes from one view to the next one, his Christ. This is a guy who's rooted and grounded. He's recognized that he is everything. He's the only thing that matters. In Philippians, we see him while he's in prison, he writes these words, to live is Christ, to die is gain. In a sense, what he's saying is like, it'd be easier for me to die and just go see Jesus, but to live would be Christ because he wants me to proclaim this gospel. You see that through the next few verses, how he's saying, I'm supposed to be here, even though it's hard for me to be alive and to do this, I'm supposed to be here. So if I live, it's for Christ. If I die, it's a gain. It's better because I'm with him. This is a mind who gets it. It has nothing to do with Paul. It has everything to do with him. Everything to do with Christ. I want to read this uh, other verse from Philippians. We see this 4. 
I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, and abundance and need. And then here were one of the most misquoted verses in all of the scripture. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Paul here is not saying, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me because I want to be an astronaut. I want to have a high batting average in the church softball league. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Put that on my refrigerator. I can do anything I want. I can get an A on my exam today. All things through Christ who strengthens me. Paul is saying, I've been beaten. I've, I've been at the very high and I've been at the very low. Paul, Paul was with, there was a woman who took care of him who was incredibly rich, living in luxury for a, few, for a season. The next season, he's shipwrecked and beaten, and then he goes back up to being with friends and eating good, and then next thing you know, he's stoned. It's up and down. And Paul says, it's all the same, and I can do any of those seasons in my life. I can walk through any trouble because it's Christ who strengthens me to get through this. He's not saying, I can, I can get a really nice job and be CEO of the next company because Christ can gives me all things who strengthens me. That's not what he's saying here. This blows my mind that Paul's his view is grounded and not just on Sunday morning, but all life long he's saying, Hosanna, he's the one that saves now. I'm focused in on him. If our worship team can come forward, um, I want to I want to do some going back into worship this morning. But my 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 thought this morning as this is Palm Sunday is that we we don't come together once again and and lay our our palms down and we worship him with our mouths and then tomorrow morning or leave this afternoon we yell we yell horrible things at our kids and are aggressive with our spouse and angry when we go into work and quiet when they when they speak against Christ. I wonder can we lay those branches down every day of the week or are we going to be quickly swayed? When God doesn't answer that prayer request, when God doesn't heal that friend, when God doesn't respond the way that you want him to, do we quickly change our shouts of praise to crucify him? Transformation can be a scary thing because a year from now, I could be a person I don't want to be if I don't recognize where I need to be grounded right now. My affections can quickly change if I don't wake up and recognize my affections are for him and him alone. That you are the only thing I need. If I don't tell myself that you are the only thing that matters, your gospel is the only thing that needs to be proclaimed out of my mouth and everything else doesn't matter. I can quickly change from going for a person who worships God I think more commonly the, the, the problem isn't that we cry crucify him, but we just cry nothing at all. Where were, where were those people? The people who cried Hosanna cried nothing at all on Friday morning. Or they changed their view. That to me is a more scary thought. That Sunday morning we can proclaim him, proclaim righteousness, we can proclaim truth, we can call out sin, we can can be talking about his love all morning long Sunday morning. And then tonight show nothing of his love and mercy. Declare nothing of his truth. Just be silent. That to me is a a bigger scare. Just silence. Because I think that's more the state of America. It really is. Um, 
It's a state of who we are. We're just like, you do your thing, I do mine. I'll be quiet when it interferes with you. Paul did not do that. He went back into that city and proclaimed again Christ. He wasn't afraid of being stoned. He wasn't afraid of being shipwrecked. I hope this, this message encourages you this morning and or at least helps you find a bearing that you're not tossed around, that you're not fickle laying down the branches today and then next, next Sunday when it's Easter and everybody in all of America celebrating Easter with their, their baskets and their church services or whatever. But then the next, the next day they're back to their affairs or their scheming at work and just letting things slide that are wrong. I hope that we can be grounded and focused on our risen Savior who's freed us, but that all we can do now is respond to him. All I can do now is proclaim him.